Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you in worship on this fourth Sunday of the month of October. And before we uh, get into uh, the sermon this morning, I do want to pause and just say a special word of thanks to everyone uh, who helped make Consecration Sunday last week so very special. If you weren't here, it was an amazing day of worship uh, from uh, our Flower Guild to our Altar Guild to our amazing choir. Um, it was just an incredible day of, of celebration. So I'm grateful to them and I am grateful to you for all the ways that we made it so special. I guess if there was one problem with the day, it's that theoretically, there was so much happening that morning that one might have gotten caught up with all of the festivities, with all of the many moving parts, with all of the celebration, and one could have forgotten to actually put their pledge card in the basket. Now, was that what happened to the senior pastor last week? I'm not willing to admit that. But if it did, theoretically, I will tell you that he rectified it very quickly on Monday morning. And so therefore, I want you to know that if that was something that happened to you, or maybe you just weren't here, uh, there's still opportunity. You can put it in the offering plate. You can go to the finance office. You can go online and you can submit it. And for that, we are so incredibly grateful for all the ways that you are investing in the life and in the future of our church. This morning, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called The Art of Gratitude. And what I want us to do over the course of the next five weeks together is I want us to look at the relationship between gratitude and faith. I I want us to ask the question, what is it about gratitude that has an impact on our faith? I might even go so far as to say it would be impossible to be a disciple of Jesus without also having a heart full of gratitude. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at that intricate relationship between the two. And to start the conversation, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that comes from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'll be starting with verse 11. Hear now the Word of God. On the way to Jerusalem... Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he prostrated himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this Samaritan? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way, For your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. So a couple of years ago, uh, I was invited 
to be a speaker at a district event in the Oklahoma Annual Conference. And uh, I have to tell you, it was a great time and I'm glad that I was able to go. I was actually very honored that they would invite me. But if I'm being honest with you this morning, I will admit that I was very, very nervous going into it. And that's because I had actually never been to that part of the country before. I had never been to the Midwest. I didn't know what the people would be like or if we would have anything in common. And so I remember at dinner, the very first night I was there, um, I was there with the district superintendent and her husband. And during dinner, I asked them the question. I said, so, so tell me, uh, what is it like here in, in, in Oklahoma? What are the people like? And I remember that the, the husband of the district superintendent put his fork down and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Jeremy, there's only two things you need to know about us Oklahomans. We love to eat and we love college football. <laughs> to which I said, my brother from another mother. <laughs> it's like I haven't even left Georgia. This is beautiful. And so I immediately felt right at home. Uh, the reason I tell you that is because later that night I was going back to the hotel where I was staying. And as I walked through the front doors, there was this, um, this welcome mat in the middle of the lobby. And the, the welcome mat had in big, bold letters kind of an interesting saying on it. It said this, making you happy makes us happy. And I remember reading that and I thought, oh, no, that's, that's a sweet sentiment. I mean, clearly the grumpy lady at the front desk who checked me in didn't get the memo. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a nice thought at the end of the day. But then it made me think, so what does make us happy anyways? Because after all, that's what Thomas Jefferson said is one of our unalienable rights, right? He said, we are endowed by our creator with three things, life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. But what exactly is that? And what exactly is it that, that brings us happiness these days? Well, a few years ago, there was an interesting study done at UCLA by a group of neuroscientists. And they said that what they wanted to discover was the answer to that question. In fact, what they said is, we want to know what is the secret to happiness? And what they discovered over their years of study and research is that the secret to happiness is not the thing that most of us would assume it is. They said it has nothing to do with fame or fortune or success or having the perfect life. No, what they discovered is that the greatest secret to, to happiness in life is gratitude. Now, the way that they discovered that is kind of interesting because what they did with the people that they surveyed is they studied their brain activity. They literally brought them in and they hooked them up to machines and they would ask them a series of questions. And they said that whenever they asked them this question, what is the thing you are most thankful for in life? They said to a person, every single one of them, their brain chemistry changed like that. 
They said that, that, that their bodies started producing two things, dopamine and serotonin, which are, th which are things that, that simultaneously lower our levels of depression and raise our levels of happiness and enjoyment. Now, what's fascinating about that study to me is the fact that when you think of the people that were being interviewed, nothing about their life had actually changed. They hadn't been given a raise, or they hadn't gotten a new job, they hadn't fallen in love, they didn't hit the Powerball. Nothing in their life had actually changed except for their perspective. As soon as they started focusing not on what they want in life, but rather what they had in life, these neuroscientists said it was like somebody turned on a light switch of happiness. And it was all thanks to just a little bit of gratitude. Apparently, it took years for these scientists to discover the correlation between gratitude and happiness, which is kind of unfortunate because I'm absolutely positive that if we had asked the gospel writer Luke, he would have said, well, I would have told you that. That's because one of the stories of Jesus that is unique to the Gospel of Luke is the story that we read this morning from Luke 17. It's called the healing of the ten lepers. And according to Luke, he said that one day Jesus was entering into a village between Galilee and Samaria, and there were ten men standing on the outskirts of the village. Ten men who had been suffering from a very painful, infectious disease called leprosy, or what today we refer to as Hansen's disease. They were standing on the outskirts of the village because of their disease. Because you see, back in the first century, leprosy was considered to be contagious, and so for fear of anyone else catching it, they were relegated away from the rest of society. And so there they are, they're standing on the edge of town when all of a sudden they notice that Jesus is coming. And they clearly must have known something about Jesus because what did they say? They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In other words, they asked Jesus to heal them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because Jesus immediately says to these ten men, go and show yourselves to the priests, which was actually a declaration of healing. Because you see, according to the Jewish law, if you were ever lucky enough to be healed from leprosy, the first thing that you were supposed to do is to go and present yourself in front of a priest, because a priest was not only supposed to confirm your healing, but the priest would also give you permission to enter back into society. So Jesus was really just cutting to the chase. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so that's what they do. But as they're making their way towards the priests, they look down and they realize that all of their wounds, all of their sores, all of the symptoms of their leprosy were gone. And that they had been miraculously healed. Now, can you even imagine what that must have been like for them? 
I mean, God only knows how long these men had been suffering from this painful skin disease. Not only that, but leprosy was not just a a, a physical handicap that one suffered from, but it was also a social one, too. Because, you see, the moment that you were diagnosed with leprosy was the moment that you became a social outcast. It was the moment that you became an untouchable. You were sent to the edge of town where you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, for fear of anyone coming into contact with you. And so imagine what it was like for them to look down and to realize it was gone. And and that ultimately they they would be allowed to go back home. I mean, I I think it makes all the sense in the world for Luke to say that these ten men went running off to the priests because you can only imagine how excited they were to show anyone and everyone that they were finally whole again and that they would be allowed to come home. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, and so that's what these ten lepers did. But in verse 15... Something really interesting happens. Because Luke says that there was one of the ten lepers who was going along with the other nine when all of a sudden he looked down and he realized he was healed. And instead of continuing on to go and see the priest just like the law said to do and just like the other nine were going to do, this man stopped dead in his tracks. And he turned around. Instead of going off with the other guys to celebrate, this one turned back around and he went to Jesus. And this man was more of an outcast than any of the others were combined. Because you see, not only was this man a a social outcast due to his illness, but he was also a religious outcast because he was a Samaritan. And back in the first century, you and I both know that Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along. I mean, they were like from Gainesville, Florida, and, and, and these were like from Athens, Georgia. I mean, they just didn't mix. This was not any, they avoided each other at all costs. This was not anything that was to be taken lightly. And so if the man had said, you know what, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to go back to that Jewish guy because if he didn't realize that I was a Samaritan and he healed me anyways, I'm not going to go back and risk it all. I mean, what, what if he discovers I'm a Samaritan? What if he discovers that I'm his enemy? What if, what if he takes back his healing? I think if the man had done that, it would have made all the sense in the world. Selfish, maybe, but still, it would have made sense. But instead, Luke says that the man looked down and he realized what Jesus had done for him. And he became so overwhelmed that he turned around. And he went to Jesus and he fell at his feet and he was praising God with a loud voice, Luke says. And the reason he went back was for one simple but beautiful reason. Luke says it's because he simply wanted to say thank you. 
It's because he was so filled with gratitude that he just had to go back and express it. And so Jesus is there, and the man says, thank you. And Jesus says to him, get up and go. Your faith has made you well. And I think what Jesus noticed about the man, where he saw that man's faith most vividly that afternoon, was not just in the fact that he was willing to ask Jesus for help in the first place, but rather it's when he realized what had happened to him, he immediately recognized it as a gift from God. And not only did he recognize it as a gift from God, but he was absolutely insistent that he would express his gratitude for it. In my experience, gratitude isn't just the secret to happiness. Gratitude is also the secret to faith. Because it leads us to ask the question, what am I most grateful for in life? And when we ask the question, what am I most grateful for in life, I think that naturally leads us to another question, and that is, who am I most grateful for in life? And maybe that's an even more important question. Because just think about all the people in your life right now that you are deeply grateful for. Think about your friends and your family members. Think about your kids and your grandkids. Think about your neighbors or your coworkers. Think about all the people who helped raise you and nurture you and helped you become who you are today. Think of all the people throughout the years who have helped you or who have been there for you along the way. I know when I was serving a church in Clayton, Georgia, uh, we had a church member who was one of the sweetest, kindest people you ever met in your life. His name was Bob. And Bob would often stop by the church office unexpectedly, whether it was once a week or every other week. Bob would always come to the office, and he usually had something in hand for us as the church staff. For instance, I can remember one day he came in and he had this basket full of freshly picked peaches. And he came into my office and he said, well, pastor, I was just down in Long Creek. And I saw that roadside stand full of the most beautiful looking peaches you ever saw. And so I figured, you know who could use some of those peaches? My favorite pastor in the world. And I smiled and I said, oh, Bob, that's so sweet of you. And he said, so where is the associate pastor today? I need to get these to him. We had that kind of relationship, but he really was a sweet human being. And he was also one of the most faithful church members you ever met. Because every single Sunday he was there in church, he was in his pew, he was there for the service, and he was there for Sunday school as well. That is until he got sick. And over the course of time, he was able to attend less and less. He couldn't be there nearly as often as he wanted to be. In fact, there were even weeks and months where he was not able to worship in person with us because of his illness. The good news, though, is that his, his daughter would often call me about once a week, and she'd give me an update. 
And she'd tell me how her dad was doing and what we could do to be helpful. One afternoon, she called me up and she said, uh, Pastor Jeremy, I got to tell you, my dad has been really low lately. Uh, he's just been depressed. I think he misses being at church. He misses being with you. He misses being with his people. In fact, just this morning at breakfast, he was kind of lamenting. He said, boy, I sure do miss my, my Sunday school class. She said, but would you believe that that afternoon I went out to the mailbox and there was a greeting card inside, and guess who it was from? It was from his entire Sunday school class. And we opened it up, and I remember my dad's eyes filled with tears as it was filled with notes of encouragement and affirmation and love. It was from some of his best friends saying how much they missed him and how much they couldn't wait for him to come back. She said, Jeremy, you have no idea what that meant to my father. And after he was done reading all of the notes of encouragement, she said, I watched my father take that card, and with tears filling his eyes, he traced his finger over every signature that had signed it. And he simply prayed, Thank you, Lord, for Jeanette. And thank you for Kathy. And thank you for Bill. And thank you for Steve. She said, Jeremy, I've never seen my father so happy. I've, I've never seen my father so grateful. I think we all have people like that in our lives. People who have been there for us in so many different ways. People that we are so profoundly grateful for. The only problem is that sometimes the thing that I'm guilty of is that the people that I'm most grateful for are also the people that I often fail to actually express my gratitude for. Now, of course, that's never intentional. But typically what happens is I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, today is the day I'm going to write some cards to folks. I'm going to send an email telling these people how grateful I am and I have no doubt that I'm going to get it done. And then, well, life happens. And the thing that I was absolutely certain was going to happen by the end of the day gets put on the back burner and the gratitude that I so deeply wanted to express goes unexpressed, at least for another day. Now maybe, maybe that's just a me thing. <laughs> maybe there's nobody else in the room who has ever been there before. But if you have, if you've ever been in that position before, well then I have good news for you. Because you see, this week I, I've been doing a little math. And according to my calculations, we have exactly one month and one day before Thanksgiving gets here, or somewhere around 32 total days. And so what I want to issue to you this morning, over the next one month and one day, is what I'm calling the Athens First United Methodist Church Gratitude Challenge. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to take these next 32 days, and I want you to take an inventory of your life. I want you to ask the question, who am I truly grateful for? And when you come up with the names, I want you to send them a thank you card. 
Now, what I'm asking you to do over the next 32 days is not to write 10 cards or 20 cards or 50 cards. I'm asking you to just do three cards in 32 days. That's one every week and a half. I think we can handle it, right, church? But only you know who's going to get those cards. Because Lord knows it could be any kind of person in our life. I mean, I mean, it could be a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a friend. It could be a family member. It could be somebody that you went to high school with 30 years ago and they have no idea how you still feel about them to this day. It could be a doctor or a nurse or someone who took care of you. It could be a first responder who was on the scene and helped you in a time of need. Literally, it could be anybody. But to you, it's a very specific somebody. Somebody that you've been meaning to say thank you to, but for whatever reason, you just haven't gotten around to it. That is your challenge for the next 32 days. It's to find somebody that you're grateful for and write just three notes. And what I'm asking you to write is not a novel. You don't have to write a million pages telling them all about how much you feel about them. But what you do need to do is you need to be honest with them. You need to let them know what they did and how that affected you and why you're so grateful. For one month and one day, you have the challenge to write three thank you cards to three people that only you know who they are. And I hope you'll do it. Because I'm convinced that if you do, one of the things that you will discover is that that has the opportunity to change your life. You just might discover that the secret to happiness Indeed, the secret to faith is, in fact, gratitude. Because it forces us to ask the question, what am I truly grateful for in life? And who am I truly grateful for in life? It forces us to take an inventory of all of the many things that we have in our life, all of the blessings that have been bestowed upon us, and we realize that all of them are but gifts from God. And so therefore, the most important thing we can ever do is to stop and to turn around and to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet and simply say thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.org.